0: Our next guest, director and writer Ali Salim, has been an advertising commercial director for the past 15 years, during which time he directed over 850 television commercials, five half-hour documentaries, and several music videos. His script for his new film, Sweet Land, was the only screenplay selected for the inaugural year of the Singus Emerging Filmmakers. The film was the recipient of the 2005 Audience Award for Best Narrative Feature Film at the 13th Annual Hamptons International Film Festival. Ali Salim, welcome to Film School.
1: Hey, thank you for having me on the show.
0: How are you doing today?
1: I'm pretty good. How are you?
0: I'm doing all right. Wonder just to start off. This was from a short story, "A Gravestone Made of Wheat," by a fellow named Will Weaver. Correct. Is uh, it
1: Minnesota author?
0: Is this uh, a recent short story?
1: Uh, no, I read the short story when it was first published in the Minneapolis Star and Tribune Sunday supplement. <laughs> really? In, yeah. in September of nineteen ninety. Oh my. And uh, I optioned the rights very soon thereafter.
0: So it was something that really uh, made an impression on you, it sounds like.
1: You know, in the beginning, it was, it was a lovely little story that actually made me uh, tear up at the end. I uh-huh. thought it was a very simple love story with some great sociopolitical issues rumbling just under the surface. But more importantly, my radar was up. I had just started directing TV commercials, and I was looking for something to do. And, you know, I just grabbed it. And after 15 years, it was like, I had so much invested in it. It's all I could do.
2: Now, when you were doing your commercial work, were you always looking towards doing a feature film?
1: From long before I started commercials. I've always been interested in storytelling. And there was a certain element of commercial advertising that was really a great film school for me. You know, I, I got to work with some of the best DPs in the business, and I got all the bells and whistles and learned about the lenses and the cameras. But there was something less than satisfying about the, the story of a low-fat potato chip. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, kind of uh, ma- <laughs> well, but I'm sure you... you did, what else did you bring just besides the, the technical um, stuff from, the, uh, from your commercial experience? There must have been some visual elements that you might have picked up there and, oh, yeah. and pacing. I
1: mean, I, re- I mean, genuinely, a really great film school. Not just that I that I had access to the equipment, but a really great film school. I got into commercials at a time when you could still be a generalist mm. and you could do a little tabletop and you could do a little comedy, you could do a little drama. I don't think that's that way so much anymore, but back then, I mean, I learned a lot about storytelling and different kinds of storytelling. I learned a lot about editing because a lot of the commercials I did were so low budget that we just had to do it all, you know, find the music, lay it down to make the station dubs. Mm. So I, I learned a lot about all, all aspects of storytelling filmmaking.
2: I, I, I want to make a what I think I picked up from, from your film, and particularly in the first ten minutes of the film, which is your attention to detail. You do a great job of laying out kind of this, the context of the story in the first ten minutes of the film, before the opening credits. Thanks. There were so many cuts that you learned a lot about the characters, uh, before you knew the characters. I would imagine that when you're doing a low-budget commercial or you're doing any kind of commercial, that editing, the cutting, the getting... conveying information quickly is very important part of the process.
1: Yeah, to have that that sense of... I mean, I don't want to say, like, visual iconography because that kind of reduces it down to a formula, but hmm. finding the elements, finding the elements in a performance, and there's some great actors in the film who can do it, where y- you somehow as opposed to connecting with a stereotype of that character, you connect with a history of that character
2: yeah. immediately. And I, and
1: I think that's part of what, you know, I mean, in the first 10 minutes of the film, I've got Lois Smith, so... Yeah you almost can't fail
2: she's terrific she's Very. a
1: wonder i mean she's a am- national treasure she's an amazing actress
0: how did you get some of these uh the actors that are in the film there's ned Beatty. there's john heard you have already mentioned lois smith and then of course uh elizabeth reaser how did they come to it it was there a, a long edition process or did you have something in mind right when you started
1: well you know i have to go back to uh commercials i i did a I did a series of commercials for A1 Steak Sauce years ago, and the, and the nice thing about them is we would cast a lot of actors, and we would bring them in and, and just shoot them talking about food, and in the end we would use 10 of them and not use 20 of them. Mm-hmm. And during that process, I met this amazing crop of young actors who had not yet made it, like Gil Bellows, who ended up in the Shawshank Redemption, and Danny Futterman, who ended up in uh, Birdcage with Robin Williams and on... Uh, judging Amy, and these guys became friends of mine, and they supported my early writing efforts, and then they supported the script even more when it sort of became shootable or became something that felt real to them. And those two guys carried it around like a flag to all their friends, and it was through Gil and and actually some readings of the script that he financed in L.A. that I met, people like Alan Cumming, and then Alan mm-hmm. Cumming came on board as a producer, and once he's on board, it becomes more real for somebody like Ned Beatty, who says, well, I have no idea who this first-time filmmaker is, but I would love to do a film with Alan Cumming, mm-hmm. and since he's producing it, I have a feeling it's going to at least get finished, if not be good. So a lot of actors came on just because of those two guys back from a One Steak sauce. <laughs> and then, you know, like with any independent film, you get the money and you go. You really don't have a lot of pre-pro money. You you have investors who have faith in you, but not investors who understand the process and say, oh, yeah, take a year and and live off my money and plant a field of wheat and and then shoot whenever you feel like it's right. You just don't have that luxury. So we got the money, and I flew to New York and started open auditions, and Elizabeth Reeser came into an open audition. And I felt like, I mean, she walked in the door, and I felt like, not like, oh, here's a great actress or here's a woman who could play Inga, but I felt like I'd met Inga. It was Mm. that powerful for
0: me. Yeah, she was perfect. Now, did you did you hand the short story around to any of the potential investors?
1: I'll tell you this about the investors that I ultimately got, which is yeah. a, which is a real fortunate situation. I mean, I had carried that script around with Gil Bellows and and, other, and, and Alan. I carried it around to a lot of places in in Hollywood, who I think they recognize something in it. But you know, by and large, the script says Olaf looks at Inga. New paragraph. Inga looks at Olaf, uh-huh. and And it's not, you know, producers would say, it's really lovely writing, but what happens? And uh, I think it was actors who started to recognize, boy, there's a lot of energy transference here. And and I can really take this, you know, story and run with it. I, I think we have 43 investors, all of them from Minnesota, and not one of them asked to read the script. Really? Oh! Now one of them asked <laughs> what the story was, so we said, oh, it's this thing, it's lovely, and it'll be great, and they all just kind of invested in our ability to do it, as opposed to in the story.
0: You know, I didn't even notice, but is that the location you shot in Minnesota?
1: Yeah, it's on the almost on the South Dakota border, due west of Minneapolis-St. Paul.
2: Uh, and you spent a year there? Or? No, no, no. Oh. We
1: spent uh, eight yeah. weeks of prep and 24 days shooting, and then... Uh, Got the hell out
0: <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, the photo that you had there uh the, yeah. as, which was taken right at the beginning, yeah, of, which is a great a great scene right off the bat. She later colorizes the black and white, yeah. and it seemed to me that there was some uh, adjusting of the color in some of the field shots to match the colorization of the of the photo. Am I just imagining that because I want to or or did someone play with that in editing
1: you know we did a we did a digital intermediate okay. and because my editor who's my very best friend Jim Stanger he and I come from a commercial background and we had made a couple of films and done the old chemical printing process with printer lights and uh-huh. it just wasn't satisfying maybe it's satisfying for you know some of the old time dps but for a guy who's made 800 commercials you're like i just want her eyes a little whiter you yeah. know <laughs> and and so we did a di which allowed us to do this that kind of color correct but for me the story point of it was that the whole film is a memory. The whole film is a memory that the grandson is having about the memory that the grandmother is having. And I think that those memories are always just a little more halcyonic and a little more informed by photographs than they are by the reality of, of our brain. You know what I mean? Uhhuh. And so we wanted to make the house a little wider and the grass a little greener and everything a little a little more sparse in art direction so that you really went to that one element of the memory that, that was being told to you.
2: The the film is Sweetland and the director is Ali Salim. And we're talking to
1: him. And we're talking
2: <laughs> to him about the film. Um, the there, there are a couple of scenes in this film, and um, I, one that I thought was just so telling about the social context of what was going on was the scene in which... The two main characters are sitting in the back of the church, and the um, Reverend, played by John Hurt, essentially calls him out, calls him out to the rest of the congregation, and that's how much that said about the society and about the about the world that they lived in. I thought that uh, captured it extremely well.
1: Yeah. It, you know it was an it was a strange era when well it 's like any other era it 's like the yeah. era we 're living in today of paranoia and fear of the different yeah. uh, but you know it it was an era when these churches had just been told during the war that they could no longer speak their native tongue of German or Norwegian, and any public gathering had to be uh, you, you could only speak English at a public gathering, and so these churches were under constant surveillance by. Pinkerton guards sent there by the governor to make sure they didn't utter a word of Norwegian Mm -hmm. or utter a word of German. And I think John Hurds character is a character that's adjusting to this new world and living in constant fear that he's not going to do the right thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever that means, be a patriot or be a, you know, an ethical minister of the the scripture or, you know.
0: Or drink too strong coffee. Or drink too (laughs) strong (laughs) coffee,
1: which seems a little exotic to him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, I think that was what the era was, and we tried to get small scenes that, you know, I, I, I didn't feel like it was a film where we needed big protest scenes of people marching down the street. It no. was just these little moments of, you're, you're different it, enough from me that I, I can't, yeah. I don't really know how to deal with you. Well,
2: well the auction where the, uh, the, Ned Beatty's talking about the socialists that's there, and then yeah. they've got the scene with, the, with the, uh, the couple of the bureaucrats who was railing about uh, having mailboxes. At your house, oh, and, yeah. then the, and then <laughs> and then the, and then the bureaucrat who, who didn't who didn't have enough information about getting her the her immigration papers. These just, are all just wonderful. It's really that just you, that's what I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. The film is the attention to detail is is remarkable. It's one of those films that pulls you in, and it's a very emotional film. So. thank you.
0: And I have thank to you. say too, my, my grandmother was a German in that part of the country during those periods of times, and she talked about it, and it it really hit home for me. She was isolated there. She changed her name. She couldn't, uh, you know, live with the type
2: of discrimination that was going on against the Germans at that period of time.
1: Wow. Well, there you have it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, once again, the, the film is Sweetland, and we've been speaking with the director, Ali Salim. Thank you for being on Film School.
1: Thank you. Have
0: a good day. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash Film School.